0: It's time to sit down and relax for the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug. Hey there, Doug here. So next week we're discussing Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. So that means this week we are interviewing someone from the movie, and that someone is actor and Jason victim Michael Benier, who played gang member Jojo in the film. Michael has had quite the career so far from being a celeb in his own high school after appearing on 21 Jump Street, being the voice of Haji on the Johnny Quest reboot where he got to work with the great George Segal, working on a pilot with another great person, Henry Winkler. And that's just a little taste of what you're going to hear and oh yeah, he is on the new season of The Expanse which is on Amazon Prime and that comes out on Friday the 13th. So let's get right to it. My conversation with Michael Benier. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I do appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. So what I like to do with these, as you heard with the Jerry one, is really just finding out, you know, how folks started in the career, but really where they grew up and what inspired them. So just like any good movie, it has a great story. So where does your story begin? Where'd you grow up? A
1: lot of movies begin with
0: flashbacks. They do. movies begin in the
1: the present tense. I don't know, an action sequence. I fought my way out of the womb. Yes. Um, No. Um, I was born in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, I'd wanted to be an actor since I was a young kid. And um, I used to do, you know, voices. I'm an only child and stuff like that. And uh, when I was in in high school, uh, they started filming a lot of uh, TV shows in Vancouver, Yeah, one of the first shows was a show called 21 jump street and they did the pilot in my high school and uh i was an extra and i was like i could do this i think i could do this and uh and then somehow we got an agent and then i saw a script for the first time i think it was for a 21 jump street and i was like that's all they do like i thought they wrote every single thing like You know, Dave enters, and there is a you know a TV on the nightstand and a glass of water. Like I was like, it just says they, you know Dave enters this classroom. I like, well that's not hard. I could do that. And then he says this. So me and my friends, we we were like, we can do this. So I remember I got an agent very quickly because I had a friend who had an agent, and uh, and then they had scripts that were being you know cast. And I remember getting the first feature film script in my hands and I said, can I borrow this? And they said, yes. And it was, um, honey, I shrunk the kids. And I brought it to class with my good friend at the time, Eric Drysdale, who was one of my writing partners and we were doing things. And we both kind of passed it back and forth in the social studies class. And We couldn't believe that this, like, this is amazing. Like this is how, you know? And then we'd seen, basically we'd seen the movie before the movie came out we're like, this is the best business ever. So I started acting and, uh, my first part was on 21 John street and I played like just a teenager in a, in a classroom. And, and then, uh, then my second audition was for a cartoon. They were starting to do voiceover in Canada and it was for Barbie and the rockers. And it was a cartoon based on Barbie and Ken. And I was cast as the voice of Ken. And at the time I really wanted to, you know, show my range and I could do this reporter and that reporter and all the accents and the casting woman from the U.S., a woman named Marsha Goodman was her name at Deke. She's saying, just do your own voice, honey, just do your own voice. And I was like, but I can do all the things. She's like, just do it. And in the end, I was cast as the voice of Ken. And uh, I got a lot of notoriety in Canada. They thought it was really funny that a young Canadian guy was cast as the all American voice. And yeah. uh, I got, a, I got a lot of press from that. And then I did other some other TV and, and then about a year or so later, right out of high school, I started. I wrote for TV with my two friends, Eric and this other guy, Ori Korsky, and we got writing jobs on a on a late night TV show for uh, CBC, which is a network in Canada yeah. called uh, Pilot One. And um, and then I was like, wow, I can do all these things that I set my mind to, you know. And then uh, the show was canceled after. Uh, I don't know a few months because there was a strike at the at the uh, at at the um, the network with one of the uh, production crews, and I was like, "This is crazy!" And I went to school for other things, and I continued to act while I was in college and university. And and uh, I was I remember I was in uh, a Friday the Thirteenth movie, and then I started doing a lot of cartoons. And maybe that's why you called me about the Friday the Thirteenth. That's why you contacted me. Was that movie in '89? Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, for other yeah. things too, there's a lot of, one thing that before we get into Friday the 13th, I think it might've been, again, IMDb is never right, but the second sure. show they yeah. have you is a show that I was, some guy turned me on to it like 15 years ago and I loved it, was Wise Guy?
1: Yes, I was in that. I was in high school as well.
0: Was that filmed in Vancouver too?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah.
2: Okay, cool. Two, no.
1: two movies that, two productions that seem to be in New York they, and they were cast in Vancouver. And I guess I look the most New York of the Vancouver kids because of my, <laughs> my swarthy complexion. So yeah. So on Friday the 13th, I'm a Puerto Rican supposedly. And in, and in, uh, I think I'm supposed to be Puerto Rican in 21 Jump Street too, or Italian. What was my name? Dino. There you go. I'm looking right at Dino. I'm looking at, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> at Dino. You're reminding me of the, I mean, it, it seems like people are like, how do you have this recollection of these things so long ago? It's just because they were such, you know, out of the ordinary events. They were big events in your life of like getting cast in a movie or or, you know, uh you know, auditioning for these things. And I remember auditioning for Wise Guy. I was still in high school. And I had already had the success of being on 21 Jump Street. And the next day in school, every kid like literally it was out of the movies where you'd walk down the hallway and they'd all look at you and be like point at you like you were on T V the night before. Because <laughs> there was a show that now. kids watched. Yeah, no, but it, but it was it, there were maybe three or four networks at the time. I think Fox was the fourth network and it was a brand new thing. But it was a show that every kid in my school watched because it was filmed in Vancouver and we were teenagers. We were the demo. So I literally remember walking down the hall from you know outside into the school and every head turned at me and kind of whispered. It was on TV last night. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. Like I'm actually being like somewhat famous for having like five lines on, yeah. on TV. You know, and um, you just reminded me. And I got a call that weekend from L.A. from this girl who had been sitting in the class because she was visiting her cousin in Vancouver. And then I was like, who is this? And she's like, like, my mom said, you have a phone call. It was like 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. She goes, and and I said, she goes, I was in the class and you're friends with so-and-so. I said, yeah. And she goes, she wants to know this. And I said, who? And it was. She says her her friend's name was Saskia Sassoon, and I said like Vidal Sassoon, like jokingly. She goes, "Yeah, that's her dad," <laughs> and I went, "What?" and I, I was like, compl- I was like, "That's the power of TV." That Vidal Sassoon's daughter wanted to talk to me because I was on TV for like a minute. Yeah, you know. So uh, that was my early early exposure. So then I got this part on Twenty One Jump Street, and then I did Wise Guy. And I remembered I was so keen to do this stuff that the the role that I did on Wise Guy was a part of a duo of two young guys who run into the lead on the show on the street. And when I went to the audition, I had prepared both sides. I had been uh, auditioning for one character, and they said, Do you want to try the other character? And I said, Sure. So I did uh, both characters memorized and i think they were so impressed i did it multiple times with different pairings of actors that i ended up booking one of the parts so it showed me that preparation was respected in acting and uh i remember my line you're just making me laugh wise guy i haven't talked about this in years (laughs) hey mr i hey mr terranova uh there's a rumor all over the neighborhood that you flew in on a private chopper right and uh and then he kind of talks to us and kind of plays down the fact of organized crime. Like don't believe the hype or whatever. So yeah. So I filmed, I filmed that. And the other guy with me was a guy named Bernie Colson who just at that point had just shot a lead role in the movie called the accused with Jody Foster and oh, Kelly yeah. McGill. So that was, uh, yeah, that was his, uh, the moment before he became a bit of a name actor, he became Damn. successful after that.
0: It's so crazy. Like you said that long ago, you remember that. And I think that show is, I don't know if you've watched in years or or if it was even big at the time, but man, that show is, it's really good. That first season, Ray Sharkey, is so good.
1: It was good and it was critically acclaimed at the time. And it was interesting because I was still in high school when it aired, but the response in the hallways after the 21 Jump Street was not as great on that one as it was for 21 because it wasn't aimed at young people. It, it It just showed me that you could be on something. It just depends on who's watching it, you know? So it's interesting.
0: So, yeah. So right after that, then we'll talk about Jason. Were you a fan of Friday the 13th at all before this audition? Not at all. Not at all. And how'd that come about? Was it the same thing? Like somebody saw you or is it like an open cattle call?
1: No, I had an agent at that point. And, um, this is, this is a good story. And I, you know, it's good that you're interested in the, in the, um, in the movie. Yeah. So as, as you can see, I mean, you've seen me in the film. I mean, I don't know. Like oh you've yeah. Seen me today. I don't, I don't, I don't look like that anymore. No, you don't. But at the time, I had ve- like my first job. I had kind of shorter hair that was growing out and then I just kind of kept growing my hair out. So by the time I was in, uh, was it wise guy? Yeah. I had longer, longer hair. And then I had long hair. I looked very, um, striking like very memorable I had very long hair and dark complexion so i looked maybe east indian or latino or american indian and i had done a tv pilot for uh cbs uh, uh, in 87 playing it's, it's right on here ike tench there you go playing american indian and uh i kind of i was a big part for me and i was like this is where my career is going to go i'm going to do these parts so i didn't cut my hair so I became kind of known as you know one of the guys in in town there that was doing kind of the juvenile delinquent role. I, I looked like a juvenile delinquent, even though I'm you know the straightest living you know guy in the you world. Know, you know, didn't drink, didn't smoke, nothing. I looked like a heavy metal kind of guy. Yeah. So, um, so I was writing for this this TV show, and then uh, one of the other actors in the show, uh, a guy named Martin Cummins, uh, was. Auditioning for Jason Takes Manhattan at the time it was called Ashes to Ashes and I still found the script recently and if uh, Everybody wants to go on my uh, Instagram after this. I will I will place the the title page and I remember clearly that they didn't reveal that it was a front of the 13th movie and That all references to Jason in the script were named Ethan. Wow. Okay. Yeah so they didn't want us to know that it was a front of the 13th movie and I auditioned to play um, one of these two gang members. And uh, and then when I got the film, they revealed that it was a front of the 13th. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's the guy with the hockey mask. I knew that. <laughs> and and then the, they explained to me that it was not wanted to be revealed since the, the show was, you know, so cult popular that some kind of a would come to the set and like, steal things, or they were afraid of things like that. They just didn't want the word to get out. And uh, so the the thing was that Martin was cast in the uh, the movie, and he played the guy, the, the the video camera guy with the glasses. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we were both. He was this, one of the hosts of the show that I was writing for, and I was writing for the show. So I think the show was on strike at that moment, so that he could do it. They let him out, and then then there was a whole argument whether I could go. It was only a couple of days of filming, and I'm like, well they're not even we're not even in production now like you know i'm not breaking any contract and they're like well so it was two nights i remember and the nights that i filmed it was in downtown vancouver and and they they um, they gave me cornrows for my hair and but which we we're not seeing because they gave me a, a bandana as well yeah. <laughs> but they asked me to not take the cornrows out after the first night so i had to keep the hair for two days and then also, I remember it was a night shoot, as you could see, and it was, the, this is exactly the night it was, that Rob Lowe was singing with Snow White on the Academy Awards, and I was watching it in my trailer on a small black and white TV, I <laughs> missing, missing, and that was the night, if you remember when Rob Lowe, you yeah, might be yeah. young, but no, he singing you know, with I've Snow White, it, yeah. and it, it's, it's like very you know infamous, and that was the night that I was filming that. <laughs>
0: i wonder why so they how you do it, they said hey you gotta get cornrows and then after the fact they have you wear a bandana
1: well the cornrows you could see it, it through the kind of the bottom of the of the but it's so dark you can't tell yeah but i mean I, there's a few shots of me in the movie that you know but uh i guess for you know verisimilitude for reality you know so uh it worked you know i definitely felt like a different person i i still clearly remember uh, showering and trying to not, you know, ruin the cornrows that they had done. Yeah, and uh, that was like two days in, in a row. There, that's so funny.
0: And then you shot him up, and then he slammed your head into a pipe repeatedly, and then then you died.
1: Yes, yes. And you know, yeah. I, I I have to wa- you know view it again. I put it on the Instagram as a joke on, on the thirteenth <laughs> this year, and that's how you contacted me. But uh, I remember clear the, the the guy who directed the movie also wrote it. And, um, uh, Rob Hedden was his name. And I remember saying, why would I go closer to him if he's not, you know, going down from bullets? Right. And he was like, just do it, just do it. I'm, I'm like, okay. Kind of, I guess it looks better in the movie where, where I go so he can grab me, I guess. But at the time I was like, it, it like in reality, if someone isn't going down from like four or five bullets, I think he would run away.
0: Yeah. Well, that's most hard. That's a Trope of all horror movies. They do that so many times. Yeah. Walking, you have a gun and you're getting closer and closer.
1: Oh, so it's in, in other horror films? Okay.
0: The same so kind of thing, so yeah. Oh, yeah. And then even like Wes Craven, who's like the king of horror movies, even in the movie Scream, the original, he kind of right. like mocked it when she's on the phone to Ev Campbell and she says, "Oh, you know what? Why are girls so dumb? And they run upstairs and then the guy shows up and instead of running oh, of out the course. front door, she runs upstairs. But... That's really cool. Yes. You had an experience on a movie like that, and then, yes. Like looking back at that movie, I know you're only only there for a few days. Was it like a hectic? You. Yeah. No. No. Okay. No, no I mean, and uh, I don't.
1: I feel like I did this interview recently, but it wasn't with you, somebody else. But it was like I was a kid. I mean, oh, I was yeah. eighteen or nineteen, and you know, you're just excited to be there with other young actors. Oh, and so the guy who played my quote partner was, a, was a, is a guy named Sam Sarkar who had been my, was my friend at the time. And he oh, was a few years cool. older than me. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he was a few years older than me and his start was interesting was he was the stand in on 21 jump street for the Asian actor, uh, Dustin Nguyen. So he was kind of in and he was cool. An older guy I was hanging out with in Vancouver. And then he was also interested in screenwriting and other things like that. And, he got a big TV series after that in Canada called Neon Rider, where he played the, the, the ranch hand on the show. And then he moved to California because he was connected with uh, Johnny Depp. And then he is now the last several years, maybe 10 years, he is the executive, development executive at Johnny Depp's production company called Infinitum Nil. Oh, wow. So it just shows that once you get in at a certain way, if you if you stay with it, you can, you can succeed. So he's not really acting anymore at all but uh you know he's still very in a powerful position,
0: yeah, there's a lot of people in that movie when i when I send these emails out and we reach out to folks it's like yeah. pretty much on the earlier end, given you know a couple of the older older actors in the movie, but it's a lot of like younger green actors like it's their first or second movie
1: sure and i i I have done other interviews about this, so now I realize it wasn't you yeah. but I mean you know martin and I were were uh, good friends at the time, Martin Cummins. And, uh, and then Kelly Hugh is in it and she was brought up from, from LA and she was, I think like a miss Hawaii or something like that. I don't remember what she was, but that was one of her first things. And, you know, since then she became a big, a big star. I mean, that was one of her first movies.
0: Oh yeah. We're covering a movie that she's doing, uh, this coming week. She's an X Two X men United. She's one of the main actresses in that, but yeah. So then, right after that, you had you did the Ken voice.
1: Yeah, that was before that. That was before that.
0: That's what I mean. Yeah, but I'm saying right after that, you were in. You did a lot of big voices and some big shows.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did GI Joe. This is the late, and that was the last season of the original incarnation of GI Joe. Yeah, and uh, they had because they were doing it in Canada to save money. They brought up a very famous voice actor who was originally Canadian to match a lot of the classic voices so that they would kind of qualify as a Canadian production in some way. A guy named Maurice LaMarche, he was matching, you know, Destro and Cobra commander. And I I was sitting there like watching him do all these voices in a row, talking to himself. And I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) Not knowing that that was very, very rare to see that. Um, Uh so, uh, yeah, I did that. I'm looking right now. I did, um,
0: and you know, what's really cool is down the road, you had a small role in the GI Joe live action film, the rise of the Cobra.
1: That is correct.
0: Did they, did they know about it?
1: I mentioned it in the meeting and, cool. I, and then I think that's what got me in the movie. Yeah.
0: So, so the funny, the reason I asked that, cause I think it's so cool when those things come full circle, I interviewed an actor. His name is George Busa. He, he lives in Canada now, but he's from the States. He, uh, was the voice of beast on X-Men, the animated series. And he auditioned yeah. for like a small role in the first X-Men movie. And while he's doing his audition, Brian Singer's talking to him, the director and some guy whispers in his ears. He's like, this is the guy that voiced beast. So they gave him the part as like, almost like he said, everything changed right after that because they were like, kind of like kissing his feet. Like, Oh, thank you for you know the work you did as beast. So they gave him like a small role. as like a, a uh, truck driver who drops off Wolverine in the beginning of the movie. But now that's so cool that you had that opportunity to to be in it.
1: I, I think a lot of actors would not be as um, bold as me to mention it in the meeting. <laughs> like, like you're saying, people, people wouldn't know. Like they don't know that, that I've done The Voice. I was out at a, at a someone was, we, we were screening a TV show the other night. I was at a party. A girl had a guest star on a TV show. And we were there for about an hour and stuff. And then finally she goes, you know, Michael was the voice of uh, reboot. And, they, and the one guy goes, what? And then another guy goes, I don't know that one. And then he goes, uh, Johnny quest. He goes, Johnny quest. What? And like, so unless you tell somebody, they don't know, like I can walk around anonymously had any of these shows that I've done been on camera. I think it would be a little different career, but it's the anonymity is completely there until you tell somebody.
2: Yeah. You know?
0: have, have and you ever and got when any- I was doing a lot of Hmm. Oh, no, I was going to say, have you done any comic cons for, like, your voices? I've done a
1: few in Canada. The, the cartoon I did, Reboot, which I was the lead on, uh, was was very big in Canada. Not, I mean, it was big in the U.S., but in Canada, it aired three times a day for about 10 years on YTV. Wow. So it was very big. So in Canada, I can do conventions and, and sell lots of autographs and, uh, and, and books. But um, I just, I mean, Johnny Quest, the, the remake of it never really took off in the US, I don't think. But you know, XO squad. I'm looking right here, didn't really take off.
0: But Johnny Quest is cool. That's when it was uh that's when they were rebranded and they put it on TNT. Yes, correct. Right. I remember going to Pizza Hut and getting the toy of
2: you know, yes. Johnny
0: Quest and Haji. So your voice, I had that toy as a kid.
1: Right. That's right. That's, that's right. So
0: cool. So let's see what else I wrote. I was looking through IMDb and it was like mind-blowing. All these shows and video games that you did voices on that I watched growing up. So is there a particular one that, so like you said, Reboot was on, you know, it's on for 10 years on three times a day. What's it like, you know, flipping through the channels and you just hear yourself.
1: I would turn it off. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I would, it's like when you used to hear your voice on an answering machine, you did not want to hear your own voice.
0: That's true. Yeah. You
1: know, I would like, I would turn it off (laughs) and, um, I, I, you know, it's, um, they had, done two seasons that it took so long to do since it was CGI. And then they did a third season and no one contacted me that they had replaced me for the third season. And I was very insulted by that. I was like, you could at least let me know. Yeah. So I had a little bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, I just, I had, I just, it was like a breakup, like some a girl you didn't want to like talk about or or, <laughs> or, or deal with, you know? And then, you know, miraculously after that, Uh, They called me back to be in further seasons as the same character. And the other guy was still there. So it was a weird kind of rapprochement, like, you know, ending. So I have a a better feeling about it now. But for that time, I was like, I don't, I don't care.
0: So. Yeah. And then, so, so you did so many voices on so many like big time video games and then you had guest roles on TV shows and then you land a role on days of our lives.
1: Well, you're missing many years here. Oh, no, I know that, yeah.
0: I, I, well, I mean, I, I was, going, was going
1: well, and I, but I was not getting to the next level that I'd hoped I would in California. Yeah. So I said, screw this, and I'm going to go to grad school. So I went to grad school for film, and then that ended, and I was like, screw this, I'm going to real school. So I went to law school. I went back to Canada to law school. Wow. And, um, and, and I did that, and my career basically took off again after 9-11 happened. Because my parents are from Israel via Morocco, and I look, I guess, Middle Eastern, and that qualifies me in some sort of way to play uh, Middle Eastern parts. Yeah. Then I came back to California, and and my career was had taken a different direction. I was doing a lot of those kind of parts, and then um, you know, Days of Our Lives was an audition for a few episodes, and I went in and I played the character of Dr. Chaika and uh they liked what I did and they kept writing me into doctor as dr, uh, dr. Chaika into days of our lives i think i did 40 episodes all altogether
0: yeah that's yeah. amazing what is it like shooting those is it kind of different cuz there's so many episodes that is the hardest acting that
1: there is in my opinion i go i tip my hat to all the, the soap actors now that i know what it is um they do sometimes you know 60 pages a day uh, on average and they do One take on average. And I couldn't understand that at first. And I said, How does that work? They go, Well, sometimes we film the rehearsal. They're basically, it's like a play. You're doing a play. Unless you really screw something up, they're not doing the take again. So um, I learned to be very prepared. And that was it, you know, one take on average. And it was, I think they were banking the episodes three or four months in
0: advance. Wow yeah I know I interviewed a guy I don't know if you worked with him he was on that show but I don't know if you guys crossed paths but uh, Sean Kanan and he was telling me about that the same kind of thing like it was like really you had to be on but he did like like the times that he was off because I think they had like summers off or like big breaks or holidays but that's pressure man to try to have to be on one take.
2: yeah
1: and I mean the, the, the people that are under contract longer bigger parts they will kind of paraphrase the lines. And they're not going off book entirely, but they're not doing it exact. So when I first started acting with this famous actress, she was doing the gist of what the lines were. <laughs> so uh-huh. like, no one had warned me this. So I'm like, what? Like this is not the lines. Okay. So and then I'm like, maybe you can even see it on the footage of me. I'm like, well, this is not what's happening, you know. <laughs> and then we went through it. I'm like, well I didn't I didn't say the thing but they go, it's okay. That's fine. Moving on. I was like, okay. So it's a real different, um, experience than doing a lot of film and TV where there's multiple camera angles and different setups and it takes a long time. It's, um, it's done like that. Yeah.
0: So over the years and all the guest roles that you did, is there a particular one that you enjoyed the most? Like that you were able to, you feel like you're acting chops. You're able to put out there like a live action role.
1: um, Yes, but it's not always the ones that people know or see. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, as as you you know, as you're talking to me in the last few minutes, I I think I have a pretty good sense of humor. I, I want to, you know, I, I'm a more comedic person than they have me playing a lot of things on camera. And there was a sitcom pilot I did with Heather Graham, and it was called Emily's Reasons Why Not. It's on here. Was around named. It was around, 90, it was around uh, 2004, 2005. I was cast in the pilot as the boyfriend of her gay best friend in the show. And they had me do kind of a vague accent. And when the show was picked up, they kept writing me in and coming back and back. And then one of the first days back when it was picked up the series, I had this scene where I was teaching yoga in the, in the, in the sitcom. And, uh, and I said, and I started doing things and the creator, she's a big showrunner now, woman named Emily Kapnick said to me, yeah, do what you would love what you're doing. Just keep doing it. And I'm like, what? She goes, do whatever you're doing is working. And I was saying things that I was improvising and I was like, you know, coming up with expressions like great, great. And I'm like, this is a dream come true. Like I'm creating my own, you know, sitcom character. Like they're letting me do it. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, I remember calling my, my manager at the time he goes, really? I said, I'm not kidding. This is happening. And he goes, wow, this is great. And then that show was canceled after one night. So like no one really saw that scene. It's on my demo reel because I got the footage, but no one ever saw the the show. So it just shows sometimes you don't know, you know, and and some things that you don't think are going to be much. I'm just looking through here. Like, you know, I had a part in Deadpool. Like, you know, I said, well, I'd like to be in the movie. And they they did some reshoots and I got in that scene. I didn't know if the scene, I thought the scene was going to be with Ryan Reynolds. I didn't know. It was going to be with the, with the, the villain there, Ed Skrein.
2: Yeah. So,
1: and I didn't know it'd be so early in the movie. <laughs> so I, I get to the, you know, the set, I'm there for a few hours and I almost couldn't do it because I had booked another part on a live action show in Toronto wow. called um, beauty and the beast. And the live action role was going to pay me more money than the, uh, the one day on the movie. And uh, I said to my agent, I really, I think something might happen with this Deadpool movie. And she's like, really? And I said, I just, I don't know. He's funny. You know, I think something could happen with this. Like, they didn't expect it a lot. It was shot in Vancouver, the movie. And I said, I'd like to be able to do both. So I filmed for about five or six hours in Vancouver. And I, I got on a flight that night to Toronto to film the other, the other show. And, you know, and about four or five months later, the movie came out. And it was a phenomenal success. And it's probably the biggest thing that I've been in since. But you never know. You just never know.
0: Yeah, has Vancouver always been like a hotbed for filming? Like here in the States? And as you know, it's like it bounces around. Like right now, people are filming in Georgia. Man.
1: Yes. Since since the eighty since the eighty seven, since i started on uh 21st. Yeah. yeah. I think they did a couple of the X-Men movies. I'm sure you could the and the X-Files show was shot there. Yeah. A lot of things.
2: Yeah. I know right
0: now like Hallmark it has like a big thing there. I interviewed oh, yeah. this guy. Jerry Wasserman, yeah. who was all also on Wise Guy, yeah. but like a couple seasons yes. afterwards, yeah.
1: Jerry Wasserman is a is an expat American who moved there. I think he's a professor at UBC. Yeah, I remember yeah. him on a show in '87 called Beans Baxter.
0: Yes, and
1: uh, oh yeah, you would know he, that because you were
0: you.
2: Oh yeah, you I could. was there.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's so great, and so George Busa, you might know because because he was in sure. Oh, he was man. on a Canadian shows. I
1: recognize him. He's got a you know big guy, bald sure. guy with a looks like kind of like a, yeah, like a, like a Sasquatch kind of guy. Yeah. yeah he was
0: like, at a show about like a weird family. I can't remember the name of it
1: right now. But yes. 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 The monster family. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: yes, yes look yes. at that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah Jerry Watson was a really cool guy, but uh, so yeah. So, so you've been doing this such a long time. Is there a particular yes. that now in your point in your career that you'd love to be able to do or character that, you know, you could voice or play.
2: Well,
1: I mean, I'd like to, you know, in voiceover, I'd like to be able to play a lot of things. I remember when I was doing reboots, there was a moment there. It was maybe a year later uh, that Saban Entertainment was going to do, and they did do it, uh, which was called Spider-Man Unlimited. And uh, it was down to me and another guy to be the voice of Spider-Man. Oh,
2: wow. And
1: and it was, they needed a Canadian actor for tax reasons. Again, I was in LA and they were like, because you're Canadian here, we can do it here. And, and uh, I didn't get it, but uh, that would have been, that was a childhood uh, dream. That would have been a good one. But you know, on camera, there's, it's, it's different because you like, you got to look like, you know, the, what people envision. I've just done something really excited about. I can't even reveal to you the, the character yet because it's not coming out till December. But I have a recurring role on a show called The Expanse, which is now on Amazon on camera. Oh, cool. And uh, that's a good part. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the best is yet to come. I don't know what what role I, I will play that will be the one that uh, I'll be known for. And, you know, I think it's not happened yet. I think I've done it's. It's funny because someone like yourself, you're younger than me, you grew up with the stuff. I think it's like, I'll go to read for something and then, the, and then they'll kind of Google me and like, "Wow, oh, you were this guy and you were this guy and this guy. Like I've, it's not built to a culmination where people know it when I walk in the room, yeah. only when they go and they go, Oh my God. Yeah. You know? So it just takes two or three things in a row for people to finally go, who, who is that guy? <laughs> you know? So um, hopefully that will happen soon. And, uh, and I think it really will, will happen in the sense that someone who's in the creative power position like yourself, will say, "Gotta give it to this guy." They go, "Why?" Go, well, he was like the that guy, right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. "Oh, right," you know, because sometimes they don't get it until after I'm there. I remember, I remember doing a movie. It was with um, uh, Joe Mantegna, and it was a movie called it was called Underworld, not the 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 Lycan movie, but it was a mob movie with Joe Mantegna and Dennis Leary. And I had oh, a scene nice. with, uh, with, uh, with Joe Mantegna and Dennis Larry, and it took about, a, about five or six days to shoot the one scene because we were in a limousine, and they had to do a different versions of it where the, we were in the actual limousine, and then they had a half of it cut on a set and all this kind of stuff. So I got to know Joe Mantegna pretty well for this week. We were just sitting across from each other. And uh, somehow I said, "When he goes, so what do you do? And I said this and that. And I go, you do voices? And I say, yeah, I'm doing this cartoon. I did this sort of called Reboot. And he goes, Reboot? what do you do on Reboot? And I said, you know Reboot? And he goes, yeah, I know Reboot. Who are you on Reboot? And I said, I do a great character named Bob. You're Bob on Reboot. And I was like, yes. You know. he, goes, I, he goes, I have a daughter. She's like five years old. She's autistic. And she'd been talking about Reboots for months. And one day when I came downstairs on a Saturday morning, she pointed out the TV Reboot. And he goes, wait till I tell my wife I met Bob from Reboot. <laughs> so you just, you never know. You just never know right what someone is a fan of like this and that so you know it, it just that's why i just keep doing it and and uh, i hope that it will just keep me in the game here sometimes it's a good year sometimes it's a bad year but i'm
0: still in the game but that's pretty cool that you have a guy that you're sitting across and not saying you're like fawning over because you're a professional even though that was early right. in your career it's not like you're fawning over like these the, the stars of a movie but for him to say that i don't know i would have lost no it was it was lovely i mean that's cool you know but you have to remember that he,
1: a lot of these people didn't make it out of the gate right away. They had years of being the oh, guy yeah. in that thing, you know? Uh, so they, they're like, you know, you're, you're right that, you know, I've told this story years ago. I have not told this story for years. I'll tell it to you. All right. So when I was doing Johnny quest, the stars of the show were a guy named JD Roth who played Johnny quest. And he's now a huge game show producer, like reality show producer. Okay. He did not stay with acting. He got very smart. Um, a guy named, um, uh, Robert Patrick, who, you know, as the Terminator 1000 was, oh, was yeah. race Bannon. Okay. And an actor named George Siegel was Dr. Siegel. Okay. So this is in 95, 96. Okay. And at the time it was just post Terminator two. So Robert was famous, but it had waned a little bit. So when we started the show, he was, you know, talking to me in the studio, how they'd asked him to do the Universal Studios ride based on the movies. And he'd done some other things. He was in like uh, Fire in the Sky and all. That. He was getting you know respect as an actor, but he was still known as the Terminator guy, yeah. T1000. T- t- he's like, oh, you know, you know, they're doing this ride at Universal, and Arnie's going to do it, and Linda's going to do it, and the kid's going to do it. You think I should do it? And I was like, uh, yes, I, I do think you should do it, right? And he's like, why? I go because that's how you're known. They're all, you're not like the only one who's going to show up for it. They're all doing it. You're going to do it. You give a thank you to Jim Cameron and the whole thing. And of course he did do it in the end, but also with George Siegel. He's awesome. Okay. So, so George Siegel had been a huge movie star for the listeners out there in the late sixties, early seventies. Okay. So every week we would do uh, two episodes and we'd break for lunch for about two or three hours. And we'd all go en masse to have lunch at this restaurant up the street from Hanna-Barbera called the Hollywood Canteen. And I would sit with George Siegel and, and uh, Robert Patrick and the, the, the director, Chris Zimmerman, and maybe the producer, Peter Lawrence, or some guest stars. Sometimes. And Frank Welker, who was the top voice guy in the world, who played the voice of the dog in the show and oh, every wow. other guest star. Okay. So, and by the way, he was a master class watching him. So one week I'm at, you know, I'm a young actor. I'm 24, 25 years old, trying to get a decent agent. And I'm kind of in between and, you know, and I'm asking, you know, you know, George Siegel's uh, advice and they would give me advice. And one day George Siegel says to me, he goes, I said, George, do, do you think I'll make it? And he goes, let me tell you a story. I said, okay. He goes about 30 years ago. And this, so this was in the, in the 80s, he was saying, okay, I was walking in Beverly Hills and a young man ran up to me and said, Mr. Siegel, Mr. Siegel, I want to be an actor. Do you have any advice for me? And I said to him, yes, just stick with it. Now, I went along my day, never saw him again. A couple of years ago, I'm at a party in Hollywood and an actor comes up to me and says, Mr. Siegel, I want to thank you but your advice those many years ago on the street in Beverly Hills what you said gave me the, the hope and I went on and here I am today Michael now do you know who that actor was I said no sir he goes it was John Lovitz now, <laughs> did I think that a fat pimply faced teenager in Beverly Hills was going to be an actor no but he stuck with it and he made it so you're asking me if you're going to make it he goes you're already on the ladder. You're doing it right now. And when the time comes for the role with an actor with Valentino eyes, you've got the part. So I'm still waiting for that that role with the Valentino eyes that George uh, Siegel predicted to me.
0: God, what a moment to have in your life. He's so awesome. I loved on yeah. the Larry Sanders show. I've watched that show yes. a million times. I loved his sure. bit on the show that he was like the guy that they just – He was on like every other week and they would like always bump him. And now he was so cool.
1: Yeah. And and that was a time where he asked me, you can look at the the timeline. He goes, they want me to do this movie with uh, Ben Stiller playing the father. What do you think? And I said,
2: yes, yes. This
1: is like (laughs) in, in 95, 97. I go, yes. And he goes, and they want me to do another thing. There was two things. It was that. And then it was like another cameo. I think it was a Jim Carrey movie. There were two things with Ben Stiller. And I said, yes, yes, do that. He goes, you think so? I go, yes. And then a year later, he got, just shoot me. But he was like not working that much at the time. That's why he was doing the cart.
0: I I love these people confiding you. That's great. You're a very likable guy. We're literally
1: on, we're in it together. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is he listening to me as the end all be all of advice? No. I'm some 25 he goes but what he goes you're young what what do you know about this I go yeah that's that's jim carrey yeah do it really I'm like yes you know i'm sure he's listening to his agents who are telling him to do it but he's you know i'm the i'm the the one other voice saying yes he's famous he's jim carrey he's good yeah. all yeah.
0: right uh, yeah that was the cable guy he played the phone. that was
1: cable guy that's right that's right yeah because Ben Stiller directed the movie as well.
2: Yeah.
0: So
1: I said, and I, I don't think it was a big part in the movie. He goes, I go, I think it's going to be, and Judd Apatow did it too. Oh. I mean, he, he wrote the movie. So uh, you you just, uh, you don't know. And they thought that was going to be a big hit and it was not a big hit. So maybe George could be mad at me for that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll find you one day. I think it's pretty cool that obviously he's been doing it for so long, but now hearing that story, how great of a guy he is. But just like on the Goldbergs, how people can see how great is comedy in. Oh, yeah.
1: And he told me stories. I, I hope he hears this one day. He told me stories about how he made it, which was he was an actor working. He was not famous. This was in the late 60s. And he was cast in a movie called The Doctors. We'd have to double check. The Doctors. And then Joe. it was, uh, what's his name, who played uh, um, Columbo? Peter Falk dropped out at the last minute for some reason so then they said "Georgia, you get his part and they moved him up and they had to dye his hair to play the the that role to darker and he said to me whatever movie you first are known by the public in you'll play variations of that for the rest of your life
0: i'm looking at the movie right now young doctors with dick clark was in right. it right ben gazzara that was 61.
1: Wow. So he said that that was the first movie and then they dyed his hair. So he had a smaller part and then they
0: bumped him up. Wow. Yeah. And he's still doing it today. Yeah, of course. So what would you say your, your key to success is? Cause you're still doing this after so many years. So many people just drop out because, you know, they just
1: uh, what is the, My key to success? Well, there's two yeah. different things. Am I a success? It depends who you ask. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think my key to success is persistence. Really? I mean, you, if you just stick with it long enough, you know, um, and also versatility, you know, if you look at what I've been doing, you know, whether it's voiceover or on camera and I did some writing as well and things you don't see here, like, you know, I did, I did a movie trailer voice one year for, it was a movie called the dictator with, sasha baron cohen i did the boy's oh, trailer for that yeah
0: oh that's awesome
1: so so things that keep you in the game you know so when there's a when there's like dry areas and different things just versatility the more plate spinning you can have i think will keep you in it you know
0: yeah, that's great advice obviously you started acting young you're in high school yeah 21 jump street everybody everybody fawns over you walking down the hallway but what <laughs> what was it before that that you wanted to do if you didn't catch that acting bug
1: what, you're, you're asking before the age of nine, you're saying? No, I wanted to be an actor <laughs> since a young age. Yeah, okay. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember as a young kid, I remember I was like, could I be a different thing every day of the week? I could be a magician one day. I could be a, <laughs> a CHP another day. I'd be a cartoonist. You know, I was like, why do I have to do one thing? And it's funny, I, I really, one of my heroes as a kid was an actor. And I'm sure you know who he is, Henry Winkler, the fawn. Oh, okay? yeah. Okay, so I ended up doing an interview. It was when I filmed Wise Guy*. And, and, uh, there was a photo of me on the, uh, in Vancouver magazine. And I had said, I want to be like Canada's Henry Winkler because he had been a producer of MacGyver, which I'd also done. And I ended up doing a sitcom pilot with him about 15 years ago. And, um, and I said to him, when we met at the, uh, you know, the table read, I said, I, uh, you know, I, w- I said, I wanted to be like, he's like, really? And I said, yeah. And I showed him the article and he couldn't believe it. And he kind of took me under his shoulder for the week and hung out with me and, uh, you know, that was a, a career that I admired because he was very famous as a child, obviously. But that show ran for 10, 12 years, I guess. Happy days. But what I didn't realize then was that as an actor, he was probably um, tired of being typecast, that he could do other things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think that that's a double-edged sword. You want success and and and, and, and recognition and obviously money that goes with it but then you're literally trapped in this one character and you're like, I can do other things. And I remember getting the, um, the call that I was going to be doing the, uh, no, that I'd been at the audition and I called my parents separately and I said, uh, you'll never believe who was at the audition. And uh, my father uh, said, uh, I don't know the actor's names, Michael, you, you know, I said, uh, Fonzie. And he goes, Henry Winkler. You know, he knew his name and I said, yes, he goes, there's no way he was auditioning. I said, yeah, he was auditioning. I saw him sitting there right? I talked to him for an hour. Are you sure? I'm like, you, am I sure? I saw him, you know, I talked to him for an hour and my father couldn't believe he was auditioning. And then I said this to my father, I said, Do you know the difference between Henry Winkler and me? He goes, no, I go $30 million. Okay. <laughs> That's the difference, which is Henry Winkler doesn't need this part. Okay. He doesn't need to act again. OK, he wants to show that it wasn't a fluke, that he could get another part that is that big or, or close to that big. And he kept doing it. And finally, two years ago, he gets the part oh, which yeah. is he's, on Barry. And he so wins the, the The Emmy for that. OK, but I'm saying that guy had been doing I did, I did a pilot with him. You never heard of. OK, he'd done a lot of series that you haven't heard of. But he kept doing it. Persistence because he wanted to show that he wasn't a one-trick pony okay and he's an actor and he could do other things so there you go Henry Winkler is the is the example right there
0: I've heard so here's two quick stories about Henry Winkler because my and it's what, true and it's true you're gonna yeah. tell me right now Tom Tom Hanks you're going to talk oh, right now. It's oh real. no, not that. No, no, my wife okay. we, we live in New Jersey and my wife worked for a photographer in New York City for a few months. Just like helping out. It was like no pay, but she got to meet Henry Winkler for a photo shoot for a play that he was doing on Broadway. He was right. like he was like an aging porn star and he came wow. and he dressed like a plumber and like short shorts, but he my wife said he was like the nicest guy ever to be able yes. to interact with. And then the other story is there's an actor I interviewed. It's in a million things. Uh, his name is Jason Kravitz. And he was on sure. a series. Sure,
1: the practice. I know who you, I know who you oh, are.
0: Okay, yeah. cool. So his first scene he ever shot after he got the practice was Henry Winkler was a dentist that was like, it's really creepy. Something with like bugs. Yes,
1: sure. So, I know it. I know it. Yeah. It was on so Law and Order, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: So on that. Yeah. So after that shoot. He meets him. He talks to him. He's like, "This is my first shoot." He helps Matt a little bit, tells him like where to look, and just gives him some tips. Then, like two weeks later, he gets an envelope in the mail, and Henry Winkler took photographs of him on set without him knowing, just so he oh has those God. mementos because he never had them when he was on his first oh days my on happiness. How amazing! Oh my God. Is
2: that?
1: uh it's it says who he is
0: yeah
2: and,
1: I, and and we're talking about henry winkler and i don't care he's a bigger star than me and i'll give this story so as i'm there with him for the week uh you know once again i have this childhood hero of mine that i dreamt of asking these things you know when i was a kid
2: <clears throat>
1: and i won't even go into the backstory of how at the audition i admitted to him that i had to autobiography of him as a kid and everybody in the, in the room also kind of chimed in afterwards, like an AA meeting. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> how much, they couldn't believe he was sitting there. So he talked about how he first moved to LA and he stayed on, uh, what's his name? Charlie Hayes couch. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, and he goes, and I got a part on, he said, it was Mary Tyler Moore. And he said, there was something else. I think it was something else. And he goes, and, uh, you know, this and that, and then he got happy days and then, of course, his, his world changed. And it's and, it, and I've read other things about it, which is when you're a TV star, people feel they can approach you. And when you're a movie star, they kind of hold you reverentially. It's different. So what I saw, I'd never seen anything like it. And I've not seen it since. As we were there for the production week, and we were on the, the, the lot. And we went, it was a lunchroom. And as we went into the lunchroom, I was wa- walking with him people approached him. and I have to say this, almost like he was Jesus. Okay. And they came up to him. They said, I love you. I, I loved you. And he went back, like he said, and I love you. And he would completely churn it back on them immediately. He would not let it sit with him and walk away. He wouldn't say, thank you. He said, I love you. He would, it was like a combine, like a turbine. He would go right back to him, to them. And I noticed it immediately. And I was like, that's how he does this. Otherwise you would implode from all the, the adulation. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, like I've yeah. never seen anything like it. I'm not exaggerating it. <laughs> I think if he walks through a room, he, we, he was in everyone's home for 15 years. Oh, I know. Okay. Like if you grew up. Okay. So, and he was the coolest guy ever. So it goes on and on. So uh, I really noticed that he would turn it back to the adulation and, uh, he appreciated it. That's what I'm saying. He, like you're saying with, with Kravitz, he sent it, he understood the moment. Yeah. He's like, don't take this for granted because he had been a struggling actor. So he understood the moment. And, uh, and, uh, and that's uh, not surprising to me when you tell me that, but also makes me happy that he, he hasn't lost that.
0: Yeah, no, it's truly amazing. When he told me that story, I'm like, could you imagine that you get a, lot, a letter in the mail and it's just these photos and a note from Henry Winkler, the Fonz, like, it just, I don't know, it just makes you feel so good knowing that he's that nice of a guy that there's someone in Hollywood. I'm sure there's a lot of people, but you just expect him to be that nice of a guy. I don't know.
1: Yeah, we could go on and on about it. I'm saying is that I think most people are nice. I do think, yeah. especially if they're, if they've been blessed to be in that position, but it's the extra step where he sent the thing. Like, maybe I go, oh, I think about that and they don't do it, but he yeah. did it. Okay. And that's what gets you the reputation as the nicest guy in Hollywood.
0: (laughs) That's so awesome. (laughs) Michael, this has been great. So when does the new season of uh, the expanse start?
1: December 13th. I think it goes streaming on, on Amazon.
0: Well, I'm going to be putting this episode out the day before. So that's perfect. Oh,
1: exciting. Thank
0: you. Another Friday the 13th. No, thank you. This has been great. I love just being able to talk to people. It's fun going up and down the IMDb. But just really, sure. just going through and talking about really just everything involved in the whole process, and it's so cool. Like you said, you know, doing writing, uh, voiceover for a trailer. You know, you're on soaps, you voiceover yeah. work, live action. And it's good to be able to do all those things because anything that comes across your agent's desk, it's like, okay, Michael can do this because you can do it all.
1: <laughs> which is cool. I had an agent. Who, I had an agent years ago. Who was like, you think you can do anything? I'm like, I can. <laughs> he, he didn't He didn't like he didn't like that answer uh, but um especially regarding voiceovers i, I want to say i really enjoyed your interview who was it? it was the first person who was a character actor
0: oh no it was jerry was minor it
1: still, was it it was jerry minor yeah, yeah. And, I, and i was just like yeah this guy gets it i was like this is funny so um yeah awesome nice.
0: no, no that was cool like when I first started this, so I know you said he sent that to my buddy, Jamie, about his email because I I just started this process and I'm like, I don't think anybody's going to want to talk to me. So then Jerry was the first one and I found him on Twitter and I I like tweeted at him and he wrote like, here's my email. I'm like, is this really him? Because he only had like 2000 followers. And I'm like, is this really him? So then when he first, like I talked about in the beginning, but we were doing video and when he first showed his face, I'm like... Oh my God. I'm like, it's, it's like a relief for it to be you. And then he said to me that I was going to put my neighbor in front of the camera <laughs> to like mess with you. But no, he's oh, such a great
1: guy. That's funny. Yeah. It's, he's one of those guys. Like who hasn't had that role where everyone knows his name, but he's just been around for, I don't know, 25, 30 years for sure oh, as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, like, yeah. lucky Louie was like such a great role, but the show got canceled.
1: There you go. You just—that's what I'm saying. There's luck. There's a lot of luck involved.
0: Oh, definitely. A lot definitely. of luck involved. And I wish yeah. you all the best of luck. Thanks, man.
1: Great, great interview.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Michael was pretty awesome. Super funny. Don't forget the expanse on Friday the thirteenth Amazon Prime. And I'll also put Michael's Instagram in the episode notes along with his IMDb, so you can check out some other work that he did. Okay, so your job for next week is to watch Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. And just want to warn you, prepare for a soggy but fun Jason. We even have a guest for the review, my good buddy Tom, who was actually born on a Friday the 13th, so talk about some insider information. All right, so don't forget to review, rate, and share our podcast. Also, follow us on all social media at sequels only. Good
2: night.